If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about decision-making in relationships and in life. Specifically, we're going to be discussing some of the most common reasons why, as human beings, we make bad decisions. And what I mean by bad is decisions that we ourselves wouldn't want to make at another time. And we're going to explore the research about those and look at ways that we can combat these forces and make better decisions in all areas of our lives. So... To start out, just to like make bring the human element here. Oh, ha- have either let's of get you... rid of the robot ele- element. Yeah, yeah. bring in the human element. Human. Exactly. Get out, get out of here, robots. Are we Shoot. human or are we dancer? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, so sorry, I have to always bring that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Have you have you ever had an experience where you made a decision that later looking back you're like, why did I make that decision? That like that surprised me or even in the moment surprised you, you made that decision. Like I know I've definitely experienced that. Never. I've only made perfect decisions mm. in my life. I thought no we regrets. said no robots. A, Get oh out no. of here. Robot. You found me out. Oh, <laughs> she's a Cylon. Exactly. Uh, okay. I'm going to shuffle Obviously. out. Oh, Hey, I'm back. I'm back y'all. Oh man. That was weird. That was like an Android version of me. Just left the room as I was coming in. Yeah. Y'all have any information about that? No, but I'm glad we yeah, identified that, her and whoa, kicked her out. Weird. Exactly. Well, I'm going to have to investigate that. that. Wow. This is a human podcast podcast. Yeah, I'm very human. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yeah, this is an incredibly common experience. And fortunately for this episode is one that's been researched quite a bit as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yes, Thank definitely. Goodness. I made so many bad decisions or not even just bad decisions, but surprising decisions mm-hmm. for sure, um, especially when it comes to dating and relationships. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Maybe those are the ones that are definitely the surprising decisions or sometimes the decisions where you look back and you're like, how did, why did I allow myself to keep going through this or something along those lines? Yeah. Absolutely. Now, sometimes the, yeah, I, the surprising decision is sort of the lack of a decision almost or like mm, the lack yeah. of taking an action. Um, exactly. And so just to kind of, to, I guess, preface this, I don't know for sure how heavy we're going to get on this episode, but I do want to give like a little bit of content warning that this type of stuff is very relevant to abuse situations and, you know, some traumatic situations like that, assault, things like that. Um, I don't know for sure how heavy we're going to go into that, but just as a little warning to our listeners that that is very much related to this topic of decision-making, especially in the last half of the episode is when we might get a little more into that. So just so you have a little heads up. Right. And again, this kind of, you know, bad decision-making, it can run the gamut, right? From, you know, making a poor decision to stay in a bad relationship or an abusive relationship um, versus something as little as just like making the poor decision to like snap at your partner in a particular moment, Mm. things like that. Right. Or these could be other decisions in your life too, right? About why did I choose to buy that thing when I couldn't afford it? Or, you know, why did I (laughs) choose to 
invest in that stock when I knew it was a bad idea or, or, you know, any number of things, or why did I yell at my boss when I know that that's a bad idea, right? Mm. There's lots of, why did I sleep with this person when I knew that <laughs> you're they were right. this, they're yeah. not a good match for me? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yep. Um, okay. So we're going to start out by talking about three factors that influence your ability to make sound decisions. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're going to kick things off just with first one out the gate, relatively easy one. We're going to start talking about hunger. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you listen to the show, you've definitely heard us mention the acronym HALT using HALT or HALTADIZA, which is the multi-amory version. So <laughs> using it as an acronym for knowing- We just have to add a couple more letters yeah, onto that one. Yeah. That's what we like to do. For knowing when are the signs that maybe you're not in a great state to be discussing something or deciding something, and so you should stop. And just the quick overview of that, uh, the full breadth multi-amory version is hungry, angry, lonely, tired, drinking, or sick. Was that all of them? Well, we also drugs is another D. There was another and, one, dr- drinking and, drugs. And horny was oh, right. at the beginning. Okay. Oh, yeah. Halt. So again, all of those states can influence your decision-making capabilities, but we're just going to talk about hunger right now. So most of us know that you know when you're hungry, we tend to make less responsible choices about, first of all, what you eat. You mm-hmm. know, like when you're hungry, you're going to be mm. more likely to go for something that's fast or something that's high calorie or something that's sugary, which is purely an evolutionary thing. Not as nutritious. That's not, you know, that decision in itself is not like, oh, because you have no self-control and you're a bad person. It's like, that's purely an evolutionary thing is like, you're hungry, you're going to starve, you go for the thing that's going to give you, like pack the biggest punch, Mm -hmm. essentially quickest. Um, So we know that that's something that happens, but it may surprise you to learn that research shows that hunger affects our decision-making in completely unrelated areas to, to food. Yeah, so we love studies and uh, science here on the Multi-Amory Podcast, so we're going to throw one at you right away. So there was a study by Benjamin T. Vincent and Jordan Skyrimka. How do you say that? Skyrim. Jordan Skyrim. It looks like Skyrim with a K in it and an A, but here we are. I assumed it was Skrinka, but who knows? Skrinka. Oh, yeah, I like that. The University of Dundee, Scotland, which Dundee makes it sound like it should be in Australia to me, but it's not. It's in Scotland. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. They asked variations on these questions to participants at different times, both when they were hungry, hadn't eaten in 10 hours, and when when they had just eaten recently. So the questions, these variants, were choosing between two options, one amount of something now or double that amount later. So, for example, 10 chocolate bars now or 20 chocolate bars in 35 days um, or 10 pounds now or 20 pounds in three months. So they also did the same thing mean like with currency, sound downloads. Currency pounds, right? Yeah, exactly. Pounds. Yeah, yeah, pounds. Meaning, or like euros, I guess, is what it would be now because, oh, no, wait. Scotland is still, still on the pound. The pound. Yeah. Lies. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so still pounds. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they did the same thing with song downloads, which is very silly <laughs> to me, but whatever. But What's yeah, maybe f- people love songs in downloading them in Scotland. I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, no, that one was so bonkers to me when I was reading about this study because all of them were 10 of the thing now or 20 of the thing at some later time. And the amount later that it was would vary. And based on how people answered is how they kind of found like, what's the threshold for how long people are willing to wait. But with the song downloads thing, 
I was like, when was this study made? Like 2005 or something? And I looked it up. It was 2017. Yeah, it's like, is this Napster? This <laughs> really? Was, this was in 2017. So I'm like, okay, I guess maybe song downloads are still a thing in Scotland. I don't know. Do people like download songs? I guess yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's like a, it feels like a Napster thing to me, but I guess it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so. Right. So in the study, basically the, the thing that was consistent was always that it's 10 of something now or 20 of something later. And it was always either chocolate bars, pounds, German, German, German. British, Great British pounds. German pounds. <laughs> Great British Bake Off. <laughs> pounds wow. uh, or song downloads. Uh, their reasoning being that all of these things were roughly equally valuable in terms of like a chocolate mm. bar is about a pound, a pound is a pound, and a song download is a pound. So they're trying to look at things that are roughly equivalent, even though they're in different areas. Anyway, and what they would do is they would change, they would ask you a bunch of questions, and the amount of time that they would ask you to wait would be different. So for example, it's like, do you want 10 chocolate bars now or 20 chocolate bars tomorrow? So it's only a one-day wait. And people would, in that case, tend to pick, they're like, yeah, I'll take 20 chocolate bars tomorrow. And if it were like, you mm. can get 10 chocolate bars now or 20 chocolate bars in a year, almost no one picked the year because they're like, I don't care in a year from now, like I'll take the 10, 10 chocolate bars now. And basically yeah. by asking lots of questions like that of different amounts of time, what they found was that for the chocolate bars, when people were not hungry, 35 days was the average amount of time people were more likely to say, yeah, I'll wait. I'll wait the 35 days. And once you got longer than that, people started to go, mm, no, I'll rather take the 10 now. And then with money, it was three months. So basically, like three months is how long I'm willing to wait to get twice as much money as I could get right now. And so with song downloads, was it I'll just wait till Spotify is available in my country? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I didn't write down the amount of time that it was for song downloads, but it was... Uh, similar to the uh, money, I think. Oh, so like it was three like months or something? Three months or something. Okay, all right. Downloads. That's a long time, though. Even three months, to me, feels really long. It is It is interesting. I do think the study's interesting because the dollar amounts are relatively low. And I'd be curious yeah, how, I... how different this would be if they were higher. But the point of this isn't Even, yeah. to determine how long people are willing to wait, but to compare it to how long people are willing to wait when they're hungry. Yeah. So when they were mm. hungry and they were asked the same questions, basically the amount of time that people were willing to wait for something like double chocolate bars, it dropped from 35 days to just three days. Right. If it's like, if you're going to make me wait wow. longer than three days, I won't do it. I won't do it. Yeah. Compared to 35. Yeah. Which makes sense if you're hungry. However, with the money also, it dropped. So initially when people weren't hungry and they're asked, do you want 10 pounds now or 20 pounds in three months? They're like, yeah, sure. But when they're hungry, then the amount of time that they're willing to wait drops from three months or 90 days to just 40 days. Even mm -hmm. though like, that's that, amazing. it's not really relevant to being know, hungry. To yeah. being hungry. I mean, maybe you can I find guess. more food with more money, but, <laughs> right. but still. <laughs> like I could use that $10 and go to McDonald's right. after this study. Exactly. Mm. Um, so that is interesting. And now going for a more immediate reward it's not always a bad decision by default like you were saying if you were out in the wild and you're starving right. you should eat right now you and should not eat wait the 10 chocolate bars right now <laughs> yeah yeah you should download all those songs right now <laughs> who knows when you're gonna Do be it. able to download listen to them, them again <laughs> that's um, so ridiculous so it's not necessarily a bad decision uh but in many cases it can be maybe the less good decision or maybe not quite the better decision mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so when we expand this phenomenon to something like 
investing, let's say, or decisions about your relationship or who you're going to date or who you're going to sleep with, there can definitely be some negative consequences there. Uh, the same thing with our small decisions about whether or not to get into a fight about something right now with your mm. partner or to say that little snappy insult or not. Mm. Yeah. You know, like with the yeah. example of, of like yelling at your boss or at your partner or something like that, it's that kind of like, if you're looking at it this way from this immediate gratification, it's like, yeah, when you're angry, yelling at someone does feel good. It might not feel good very shortly after that, <laughs> but right at that moment, that's why we do it, right? Because it's like a release of that tension mm. that we're feeling. And so when you're hungry, like we've all heard the term hangry before, that's, this is a study kind of showing exactly that same phenomenon of like, I'm going to more likely to react to get the quick reward of just being angry now, even though I'm going to suffer consequences for it later, most likely. Yeah, so a solution to this is fairly self-explanatory, but it's to try to manage your hunger level and stay aware of it. Uh, people like me, I know <laughs> this is tough for me sometimes because I'm not always great at managing my hunger level and staying aware of it. I, I am pretty hypoglycemic, and so I do tend to like have snacks with me, I like a, a go macro bar. I love their stuff. And, you know, just like something to maintain your sugar level and not have it like spike too rapidly or go down too low. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, just have an emergency snack with you if you want. And then definitely if you have a big, important decision coming up, then do grab a snack before you have to make that decision. Just because you never know if you're going to accidentally make a shittier decision just because you're freaking hungry. I, I like the I like the idea of okay we've got an appointment to talk to our financial planner or you know to buy you know choose an exactly. insurance plan at work or something it's like oh, go boy. have some food first <laughs> and then go do that yeah for sure yeah uh, yeah definitely and then also on the other side is just like avoid those situations if you can if you know that you're hungry right now it's like yes I know this mm. decision feels pressing but actually I'm going to wait till after I've had some food. Yeah, I think you're good about that, Jace. You're like, no, you know what? I got to eat something. Like, I, I feel like you're yeah, pretty Jace, good Jace, you're about like that. every two hours. You're like, I need to eat something. <laughs> that's not that's not as true. Actually, I found that to be less true now than it used to be since I started doing mm. more of an intermittent fasting kind of thing in the mornings that I found that oh, that's good. it's also made me feel less like desperate when I am hungry. Usually. Sometimes, <laughs> he says though, as he looks at me. <laughs> sometimes, though, it yeah, is just that. Jace kind of goes back and forth because sometimes he's also started doing this thing, especially since we all went on that Buddhist retreat together, where now like I'll be super hangry. And I'll know that Jace should be hangry because we're on the same eating schedule. And then and you're pissed that he isn't. Well, no, because then he... Like, I'm yes, like, she no. is pissed that I'm not. <laughs> it's because I'm like, okay, we need to get food. Like, we really need to figure out something for food. Like, what are we going to do for lunch or whatever? And Jace just turns to me with this most, like, beatific expression. It's just like, I don't have sense desires. <laughs> I got wow. rid of them. I'm fine. It's... It really is kind of a 50-50 with Jace, though, whether I get you hangry or I get you like all enlightened Buddhists, don't have any sense desires, mm, don't need to eat. Mm, I'll just eat air. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> anyway. Uh, oh, boy. I'm fueled by my enlightenment. Oh, here's the question, though. Here's uh -huh. the study, though, is when you're what, in your what? whole like very zen, mm. have no more sense desires, but still hungry state, would you still make the same poor decisions? Uh, you know, mm, good that, question. That is an interesting like, question. Is your hunger still going to trump whatever your brain says? Yeah, it is an interesting question. And it's something that we're probably going to talk about later, but I could talk about it now too, is um, 
when it comes to like learning how to make better decisions in adverse circumstances, uh, one group that specializes in this is the military, right? Of course. Because we want people to be in very stressful situations and make the best decisions that they can, um, or at least do the decisions we tell them to do. And so in that case, like specifically with um, special forces types, right? Like army rangers or Navy SEALs like those, uh, that part of that training is being hungry specifically. It's like not getting fed wow. enough and not getting enough sleep while still having to execute drills and make decisions and things specifically to like learn how to be better at those while in those circumstances. So I do wonder if you were to do the same study with like Buddhist monks or something who don't eat afternoon, right? And it were you to... We're also not getting a ton of food. Or a ton of sleep, necessarily. Yeah. Right. It'd be interesting to do a study... Maybe slightly different stressful situations. Or... Well, yeah, but I wonder if it would be a similar thing, though, of, like, you can sort of train yourself like to become muscle. better at that. I don't know. Maybe. Don't know. Interesting. Probably. Well, all of our uh, researchers out there listening to the podcast, that's a cool study. You should do it. Or if it's already been done, let us know. Well, next time you tell me you have no sense desires, I'm going to throw all the decisions at you. Oh, yeah. No, ask me, like, do you want this now oh, do or it. twice this <laughs> okay. in a certain amount of time? And all right. See. I'll ask you about your song yeah, downloads. Yeah, see what happens and report back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let's move on to the next major category of decision difficulty. Uh, and this one is decision fatigue. So this is something that I, we have mentioned this before on the show, but we're going to kind of dive a little bit deeper into it now. So decision fatigue has been studied a bunch. There's, there's a ton of research on this. And essentially it comes down to this. Like in the same way that our muscles get tired after exercising and eventually like they can barely function, right? Like if you've ever gone on a really long hike and your legs just feel like jelly, you're just like, I can't even you're take like another You're like shaking step. afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Essentially our decision-making part of our brain does the same thing. If we're hiking the hike of making a ton of decisions, <laughs> it's just going to turn to jelly in the same way that we're going to lose our ability to make good decisions. And this information, I find this interesting because it frustrates people. When you tell them this, I, I find that there's certain like psychological phenomena that really piss people off to hear about because I don't know. I think it's somehow like a threat to the idea that their mind is this like perfect, impenetrable, unaffected by the world thing that I think people tend to kind of have this illusion about the way their mind works, that it's not affected by their body chemicals or by many other things. Mm -hmm. um, but the good news to accepting this and understanding it is it means that you can take steps to prevent it or work around it or work with it, right? It's like if, if I'm really pissed off that I can't fly and I just choose to like deny that gravity exists, that's not going to be very helpful versus... That would be very odd. Versus understanding gravity and then being able to develop technologies to be able to fly, right? It's like just accepting that this is a reality doesn't mean you can't overcome it. Anyway, there's my little philosophical rant about that. Uh, so this happens both on a large scale where you know we're worse at making decisions in the evening so just as we've been tired through the day um, you know hungry is also part of this but just making decisions through the day we're going to be less good at making decisions later and this also translates to willpower because essentially willpower boils down to decision making right like do you have the willpower to not have that drink or that cigarette, like that's a decision you're making. Or do you have the willpower to like keep going in this workout when you're really tired? 
that's a decision that you're making. So willpower and decision making effectively are the same thing. Um, and so, so not only that, like over the course of the day, it's going to be harder to make good decisions, but also just on the small scale. Like if you're making a bunch of decisions all in a row, that you're going to be less able to make decisions right after that. But just like with working out, right? You hike up that mountain and you feel like your legs can barely move. Maybe an hour later, you're like, oh, I actually feel okay. Right? Maybe you couldn't do the same amount of hike again, but you can still go a ways now and be pretty good. So it's the same thing with your mind. Like it can do some short-term recovery, but then also it needs that longer-term recovery of sleeping. And not getting enough sleep yeah, also definitely. can cause a problem with that. I I am dealing with this right now because I'm severely jet lagged. Yeah. So like making any decision and it, this whole thing can definitely re- apply to relationships. I know for myself, like I just got home and to a bunch of SAG screeners, which is super fun and awesome. But um, because of that, I'm like, ha- I have them all in front of me and I say to my partner, like, what do you want to watch? And he's like, you pick. And I say, I, I can't do this right now. Like, I can't pick. I need someone else to, like, make these decisions for me because, honestly, like, I have no brain power or anything because I'm so sleep deprived. And, you know, I'm taking money to the bank and trying to figure out finances and stuff right when I'm getting home. And so, yeah, all of those things just I have, like, other things that I need to spend my little bit of ability to make decisions on. But yeah, I yeah. mean, if you're in a moment also, you may like snap at your partner at the end of the day after you've been making a bunch of decisions throughout the day about like where you want to go to eat, for example, or what kind of food you want from takeout or something along those lines. And it may cause you to like pick the lowest common denominator of something unhealthy, perhaps just or like the same thing that you've had all the time, just simply because you're out of steam out of the ability to make a good rational decision in that moment. Yeah, I've definitely run into this with, uh, for instance, things like planning, planning anything with a partner, honestly, whether it's planning a trip or planning a, hey, when are we going to go to the bank together to deal with this thing? Or, hey, let's figure out like when we're going to go to our kid's school to deal with this thing that often it's kind of like if you're both out of the house during the day, working, making a bunch of decisions at your work, and then you come home and then suddenly it has to be, okay, well, now we got to figure out all these logistics that that can be a time that's just rife and just ripe for it devolving into not good communication or picking on each other or snapping at each other, things like that. Um, I think in part due to the whole decision fatigue thing. I think this is also part of mm-hmm. why the Gottman Institute, they really, really stress um you know, when you and your partner reunite after work or at the end of a day that your first conversation together is a stress reducing conversation, Yeah, you know, rather than a stress producing conversation. And again, it's the kind of thing where it's like, it may not be intentional that it's stress producing. Maybe it's like, yeah, we can plan a fun vacation. So let's sit down and talk about it. But it's like, again, when you're in this decision fatigued state, it's going to be more likely to be stress producing, even if it's something as simple as like, let's pick out which movie to watch rather than stress reducing. Yeah. It's very stressful. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. But yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I heard a story that I think a lot of people can relate to in some extent of that thing of coming home after work and your partner being like, "Hey, you know, what do you want to have for dinner?" And, mm-hmm. "Oh, I don't know, what do you want to have?" "Oh, I don't know, what do you want to have?" And then just getting pissed off and angry and be like, "Like, I just don't I don't fucking know, just pick something." 
And then, and then in Whoa. this in this story that my I heard, eyes, my eyeballs twitching a little bit right now. No, because this happens. Yeah, I know. This I was like, real, uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Jason, Jason's never uh-oh. said that to me in that way. Never that aggressively. So I don't want people to worry. No, well, well. So then, uh, in the, in this story that I heard, it's like that that goes on, and and you know she ends up kind of snapping at her husband, and it's like just just do something. He's like, okay, like I'll I'll cook us chicken or you know whatever it is, and then he makes it and then asks her a question before they're about to eat about like, Oh, you know, do you, do you want like a breast or a thigh or something? And she just like starts crying. Cause it's just like, even, even that little of a decision is just, it was just too much for her at that point of just being so taxed in decision-making. I have found that this one though, I've noticed this because Dedeker gets very frustrated when she's decision fatigued, like in that example of wanting to pick where to eat. And then both of us are like, can you please make a decision? Like, no, can you please make a decision? (laughs) And I I have noticed that when I have enough of the resources that if I'm able to notice that, like I say, hey, what do you want to eat? And the question I get back or the answer I get back is, well, what do you think? Like with no input at all, it's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe like... And then you're like, it's going to be me. Who's right, going to make this decision? Exactly. It's kind of this cue of like, okay, I just need to toss out some decisions now. Mm. Or like you two did this to me the other day when we were going to record. Uh, did we? What yeah. did we do? Was we had two episodes prepared last week and we we're like, which of these are we oh, going right. to record? <laughs> oh, and yeah, yeah. Right, when none of the three of us could make a decision. God. Right. No. And I, you know, I was like, okay, which, you know. Dedeker did it though. Which one? No, actually, I did. No, Chase did. <laughs> oh, I forgot. I forgot. That was you. Good Dedeker job. just reported it to you. But yeah, both of you guys were like, I don't know what either one's fine with me. Or like, oh, what do you think? And I was just like, okay, someone has to pick this. So it's like, okay, we're doing Dedeker's episode. We'll do mine this week. So yeah, I definitely like yeah, as I had just prepared this episode, was like, oh yeah, here's a situation, <laughs> here's a situation. where it's so I realized, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, then you should have been you had good like answers for us already. You should have already known that this was a possibility. I but did. I did I'm make glad. the decision that for you. you. <laughs> well done. Well done. Uh, uh, I think this is something that also comes up with swiping and using mm. dating apps. The decision fatigue because it's like you can start out at the top uh, of the pile. Yeah. You know, being like this person, is, no, 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 you know, yeah, oh yeah, maybe no, I don't know. I'll check out their, mm, I don't know about their Instagram, you know, yada, yada, yada. Like decision, 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 decision. And if there's anyone else is like me, I notice that after I've swiped like 20 people, that suddenly it starts becoming a lot more. I become a lot more sloppy, and you're just like, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, a lot more like snap judgments right. about people, mm-hmm. which is maybe not necessarily the most mindful way. Right, like to the be first doing few, it. you'll you'll read the little profile yeah. message and you'll think about it, and then after that, it's just like whatever, right. swipe, swipe, swipe. But also something of like, yeah. even if you choose to be swiping like in bed at the end of the day when mm, you're the most yeah. tired, you know, mm, you're maybe not going point. to make the best yeah. decisions. Swiping at a bar after drinking is also a move that is very common. Uh, oh, is it? Yeah, like you're out with your your friends and then it's just like there's a lull in the conversation you pull out your phone you oh. do a little swipe 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 no this is a I haven't very been common on a, thing i have not been on a swipeums dating app in almost gosh almost almost two years it's been a long time so mm. yeah. yeah but i but yeah long, but i do remember time. that that like sometimes it's like if you're in a bad mood or a sad mood or you've been drinking or you're tired or whatever that it's just it's um not the best time well, not only that, but if you're killing time by swiping, that you're oh, using yeah. up decision power that then oh, if you yeah. have to make a decision after that, Don't that's, do a, it. that's a real decision, you've used up some of that. So I think it's also worth being mindful. 
<laughs> right? It's like, I know I'm going to go on this big hike. Oh, I got some free time. I'm going to go for a jog. It's like, yeah, that's going to make that hike harder because I'm going to be more tired. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to combating decision fatigue, there's a few recurring themes that come up in all the advice out there. Um, so a lot of people mention, you know, maybe it's better to make important decisions in the morning when your decision energy is the highest. Um, related to willpower, you know, the thing that you usually put off first, whether it's exercising or meditating or maybe a particular task that, you know, you keep putting off, that it's better to do that earlier in the day when you have the most willpower and most decision energy, essentially. Um, there can be things like planning decisions in advance, creating a routine for yourself, especially in the morning, things like planning meals ahead of time. I know that the times that I have actually done that, it really does help. Uh, picking out your clothes beforehand. Now, this one I was so resistant to. Yeah. My sister is like super type A. And for years, she's always been the like, you know, sets out her clothes you the, know, night before, the night before. Yeah. Super type A, Dedeker. <laughs> okay, Mel, my sister's even <laughs> more type A. I know I'm type A. My sister's even more so. Anyway, she did really? that for so wow. many years. And I was really resistant to it. I was like, whatever. I just get up and like pick the clothes I want to wear. Like, I'm not going to take the time. I'm not going to sacrifice my precious evening, <laughs> you know, five minutes to setting out my clothes. And then the times that I do do it, it makes such a huge difference. Like there's something tangible that I feel of where like th that decision's already made and it's like that little bit of extra energy is there. Um, or things like yeah. setting your priorities for the next morning, the night before. Hmm. Yeah. I think these yeah. ones are interesting because they come up a lot in advice about this, even though we just said your decision-making power is going to be less in the evening. Mm, but the true. idea here more has interesting, to do... Interesting, good point. More has to do with like... While you're at work. Giving yourself a leg up. Well, it's like while you're at work and right after work when you're particularly tired, it's like by the evening, maybe hopefully you've relaxed a little bit and recovered a little bit from those decisions so that then you can make things like, what am I going to wear tomorrow? But also I, when you're not in a time crunch. To right. That's it. the thing is also like making that decision about what am I going to wear tomorrow when you're not in the situation where the stakes are the highest, mm -hmm. where it's like, if I don't decide what I'm going to wear, then I'm going to be 10 minutes late or whatever. Yeah. I find the time I pick out my clothes beforehand is anytime I'm getting up extra early or if I'm traveling. Mm. Something where I know like it's going to be a little bit more stressful of a morning, that's when I'll pick out clothes beforehand. I do it sometimes like before big days, like when I was in mm. Shanghai, it, like for the first day we have to, we have to wear the Disney look. So oh. I, I wanted to like, yeah, it, the day before we started everything, I was in my head as I was going to sleep. I was like, okay, I'm going to wear this dress, these shoes. <laughs> Hang on. What is the hat, Disney? What is the Disney this... look? What is the Disney the look? The Disney look? It, I mean, it's I can classic guess, but... and timeless. It's classic <laughs> and timeless. Like that's basically, you know, no like open toed shoes, no really short skirts or really cleavage you know, whatever, right, right? Really cleavage, yeah. No, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's stuff like that. They just basically emphasize like timelessness. What, so, just like professional? Yeah, you always see everyone classic and cute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so oh. I wore my Star Wars dress because yes. yeah, perfect. Disney owns them, so you <laughs> yeah. can wear them. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, another way to combat indecisiveness and this decision fatigue is to not agonize over unimportant decisions like what brand of floss to buy. If I flossed all the time, which I need to be better about this year, that's <laughs> a, this, a New Year's resolution. This is something that Jace, I know, uh, struggles with on menus. Right at restaurants. Oh. It's just like, yeah. what to What pick. to eat. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, but in this way, just just kind of say fuck it and, and choose one, grab one, whatever. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter, Colgate over Crest. No, it really doesn't. So also try a system for making decisions to simplify them. Like pick five, pick two, pick one method for deciding with a partner, for instance. Like what is this exactly? So you pick five items and then the ne- the, ne- the partner picks three and then you decide on one. They pick two and then you decide on one. Yeah, yeah. so this is this is great okay, for like yeah. if people are having a hard time making a decision about where to go to eat or what to eat. Is, or like what to do tonight. Yeah, it's like, or, or what to do. Yeah, one yeah. of you comes up with five options. The other person picks two of those options and then the original person picks one from those two. Cool. Yeah, yeah it helps, exactly. You know, again, it just helps to make it a collaborative process and also simplify the decision making. Yeah, we actually just totally. did this one last night when we were trying to decide where to eat. When it was like getting late yeah. and we were kind of hungry, right? we were just sort of like, there's too many options. And it's like, okay, Dedeker picked five and I picked <laughs> two and then she picked one and it helps. Great. Or if you're by yourself, you can pick three and then choose one from those. So like with the, mm. with the restaurant menu one, I just learned about this when researching this episode. So I haven't gotten a chance to try it out yet. But it's like you go in, you see the menu. If it's overwhelming, you can just arbitrarily go, okay, these three sound pretty good. And then, okay, between these three, which one do I want? So it's like not having to pick between a hundred things. It's just having to pick between three makes it just a little more manageable. Yeah. Remember that next time you go to the Cheesecake Factory and they drop that Bible-sized book in front of you? <laughs> right. Oh, gosh. Uh, the exactly. one at Shanghai Disney was just insane. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no way. All right, so we're going right. to go on now to talking about hot states versus cold states, which is actually what inspired me to start putting this episode together in the first place. But before we get to that, we want to take a moment to talk about some ways that you can support this show to keep it going and get this information out there for free to as many people as possible. All right, are we ready to move on to hot and cold states? So this one, Heck yes. this one is a bit bigger and... Honestly, a little harder to wrap your head around, in my opinion. Uh, so let's just start out by like real basic definition here. So hot states versus cold states. Essentially, this terminology, a cold state refers to when you're being rational, you're calm, you're not emotional, you're not hungry, you're not tired, you're in you know a good decision-making state. So for example, it's while you're making New Year's resolutions while sitting on your couch. Or while you're sitting here listening to this podcast, mm. you're probably in more of a cold state. And then a hot state refers to varying degrees of emotionally charged or physically challenging situations. So this is like being hungry, being in pain, being angry, even being surprised or feeling ashamed or tired or being excited or turned on, right? Any number of things. So basically anytime that we're not feeling rational when we're a little more emotionally charged is referred to as hot. So with the example of the New Year's resolutions, you're in a cold state when you say, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then you're in a hot state when, you know, it's late at night and you're out with your friends and you decide to have a cigarette. Right. Right. So that's, Mm. that's kind of the difference between the cold state and hot state. Okay. So the thing is that we're extremely bad at predicting how we are going to act in a hot state. We're also this really is very unfortunate. Yeah, we're yeah. also really bad at predicting how other people are going to act when they're in a hot state as well. Um, this is sometimes also called the empathy gap. 
We covered that a little bit more in our episode 160, where we talked about cognitive biases in relationships. So um, long ago. I know. Almost, two, or almost 100 episodes ago? Yikes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, go and wow. check that out. So here's an example of this. So in the Journal of Social Issues, there was a study uh, entitled Real versus Imagined Gender Harassment. So the researchers mm. asked women to just imagine a situation where they're at a job interview and that a middle-aged male interviewer asks the following questions. Do you have a boyfriend? Do people find you desirable? Do you think it's important for women to wear bras to work? And so when Jeez. the par- yeah, I know. <laughs> when the participants imagined the situation, many women said that they would speak up, they would walk out, they would get angry, they would report the interviewer things like that. So a whole 68% said that they would not answer at least one of those three questions, that they would just refuse to answer. Yeah, so then they recreated the situation in real life uh, for a study by posting a job interview or just like posting a job out there and including those questions in the interview. So this control group uh, also had equally unrelated but non-sexist questions. So there was one group with sexist questions and then one uh, with non-sexist questions. So, right. But like still yeah. equally like weirdly non-sequitur. Unrelated. So like- so instead yeah, it's of like, like what? do you have a boyfriend would be like, you know, do you have, do you have a close a friend or do you have a dog? Or, yeah, exactly. It's like, do you have a favorite movie? Yeah, do you have a pet? Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we just want to do a quick side note on ethics. Um, this study was closely monitored. There was no physical contact besides an initial handshake. Uh, and the interviews were videotaped. The women were debriefed afterwards and they were given the option to have their results and video destroyed. So... Yeah, this this was an ethical um, study, which is great because, yeah, I definitely would feel very awkward if someone asked me if I was desirable in an interview. That's pretty intense. And so these interviews, just just to make sure that I'm correct here, Jace, these interviews were done as though like these these women went to an interview and it was just a study, but they didn't necessarily know that it was a study. Right. They, they thought, thought, thought that they were actually interviewing interview. something. Yeah. I see, but then they were told afterwards. Okay. Right. That's why it was a tricky ethical thing because in order order to get a study of this, they had to make it so that the women actually believed it was a real job interview. Because if you go in knowing it's a study, that totally changes the stakes. Now now our job's not at stake. Now it's like, oh, I'm in a study. Of course I'm going to say something. Yeah. And of course I'm going to say like, this is fucked up. So... Okay, so they found that none of the women actually did what the other women had predicted, which I think makes perfect sense. I don't even know if it was a really high-stakes job interview. Even if somebody it asked me if I like, was desirable. It was for like an assistant yeah. position. So it wasn't like a... Okay, wow. It was like it an entry-level job. But, entry it's still, job. but it's but stakes, still. though. But you need it's a job. If they yeah, were there, interviews are intense. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you, you want to put your best foot forward in an interview, so it completely makes sense. But... So very few people brought it up at all, and they did it in a really polite way. Like they would might bring up in a very polite way. Like I don't, I don't know if I want to answer that question. No, um, they 100%. didn't even say that. They didn't even say that. They didn't that, even Emily. say that. Yeah. No. Wow. They would just like most of them. Yeah. It was like, oh, why is that relevant to the job or something like that? Like huh. not even that yeah. direct. Or most would wow. wait till after the interview was over. And then say, you know, when they had the chance to ask questions, it's like, so 
Earlier, you asked this question about me having a boyfriend. Is, mm. Why did you ask that? That didn't seem relevant to the job interview. Like, maybe they would ask at the end. Yeah. 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 Wow. What, but it, it, essentially, they found that 100% of the women answered all three questions, all three of the non-relevant, potentially sexist questions. And then in the testing afterwards, the prevailing emotion that these women had was fear and not anger. Which, again, makes perfect sense to me because I tend to, like, get fearful over something rather than angry in a lot of instances like this, like maybe a, an interview type setting for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, a lot of people listening to this and especially a lot of people who, you know, maybe have the this experience, it makes 100% sense, right? You know, I think this is why the Me Too movement was so revolutionary is because it was like, yeah. yes, we can all relate to this this sense of like these shitty things oh, happen totally. that are kind of maybe quote unquote small, but like you just deal with it because it's more important to just be able to deal with it and move on with the rest of your day or get the job or have a smooth working environment rather than, mm-hmm. you know, create a mm-hmm. dust up over something like that. Um, right. And I mean, yeah, I've been yeah. in this situation before, especially like on jobs, especially in the entertainment industry. You know, mm-hmm. it's like someone someone in a position of power does oh, something yeah. inappropriate or asks an inappropriate question and you can't refuse or like can't refuse to answer the question. Or, or at least you, it doesn't feel like it doesn't can. feel like you can, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, it doesn't feel like you can. Yeah. yeah. I had that actually at a at an audition for a film where they asked me about my religion hmm. and I was just like. That's I, in my wow. head. I'm like, you are very much not allowed to ask me that. And this was a union gig, too. So it's mm. like you this is actually like against wow. a lot of rules. You cannot mm. ask me this. Uh, and I didn't end up saying that I answered them anyway. Right. But it was that like internally, wow. it's like my mind was screaming at me like, no, call them out on this. And then mm. didn't. And it's it is that weird. And even in something like that, that's very low stakes. Yeah. This wasn't yeah. a huge, yeah. you know, Steven Spielberg film or anything. Right. right? Some independent <laughs> film. But still, my mind yeah. was like, no, you're going to do that. Yeah. So mm. this becomes a real problem when we start to blame victims of harassment or abuse for their inaction or for mm-hmm. not speaking up or things like that, because we incorrectly assess what we would have done in that situation because we're so bad at being able to guess what we would do in a hot state. So it's like when you're not in a totally. state of feeling fearful or feeling like a potential job is on the line, it's easy for you to say like, well, fuck that. I would have said something or mm-hmm. I would have like thrown my resume in his face and walked out. Um, it's very easy for you to say that versus when you're in the actual state. And this happens all the time. It's 100% the empathy gap. Yeah. And yeah, here's the even more interesting part is that even after you personally have an experience in a hot state, once you're cool again, you still can't predict how you're going to act in a hot state. And in fact, according to research, we become even worse at it. Right. So this one is is nuts and is kind of hard to wrap your head around. Like this, this one I had to kind of read over multiple times. And there have been a number of studies, but I'm going to try to give one example here. So this is in a study called Enduring Pain for Money. <laughs> right Great. there on the sin. <laughs> Capitalism. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. That's so, uh, interesting. Yeah. So in this study, they, they did a study that involved holding your hand in uh, like a bucket of ice water for a period of time, uh, either while trying to distract yourself from the pain by thinking about something else or while focusing on it and like really being attentive to the pain. Uh, and then they asked them afterward, like, so they kind of got a sense of how does this feel? Then afterward, after they'd had a second to... I was going to say cool down, but I guess warm back up. Uh, Then they would ask them, 
how long would you be willing to hold your hand in that water in exchange for X amount of money? So basically, like the longer you hold your hand in this water, the more money you'll get from this study. And what they found was, um, or I'm sorry, what they found was that people were surprisingly would overestimate how long they could keep their hand in that water, even though they had just done it. That it's sort of like once, huh. once you've kind of gotten over that, once you're not in that pain, it's like, yeah, I don't, no, I think I could go twice as long as I did just then. That'd probably be fine. Uh, that it's just like almost immediately we forget. It's like that thing of, you know, doing a really painful, intense workout and just being like, I'm never going to be able to do this again. This is awful. I hate this. I'm never <laughs> going to do it. And then like 10 minutes after you're done, you're like, I feel great. Yeah, I could do that again. <laughs> it's like that uh, kind okay. of thing. And then they came back three weeks later and they asked them again, how long would you be willing to hold your hand in this water for more money? And what they found here was that the group who tried to distract themselves from the pain at the time reported the ice water as being more painful. And right afterward, we're like, no, I don't think I could do it for very long. But three weeks later, they were the most confident at saying, yeah, 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 sure. That shouldn't be so bad. I'll put my hand in the water for that money. Whereas the group who focused on it actually at the time reported it as being less painful, but then three weeks later were less willing to hold their hand in the water for money. So that's fascinating. It's super fascinating. Yeah. It's just mind boggling to think about. Yeah. And you know, you, you have to ask like what gives here because this is very strange, but it, it's sort of this and many other studies show us that human beings are really incapable of remembering pain. Instead, we remember things like the event that caused the pain, maybe the beginning or the peak or the end of the pain, but uh, maybe just like the fact that it happened, but not really what the pain felt like and the intense emotion behind it. So in this case, the group that distracted themselves was only experiencing the emotional part since they weren't focusing on that pain itself, and therefore they were less likely to remember how painful it was. So they were given kind of a thing to focus on being the emotion or the distraction, which meant that the pain itself was more difficult for them to remember. Um, and this also happens with other emotional experiences like the empathy gap that we mentioned earlier. So an example of this may be something like, you know, in the heat of the moment when you're physically aroused and maybe you're about to have sex with somebody, maybe you make the decision not to use a condom when maybe you otherwise would have. And then afterwards, then you think like, oh, gosh, OK, that was a mistake. Can't do that again. Next time I'm going to wear a condom. But then you make the same mistake again because then you're in this hot state of being aroused and you end up making this poor decision again or the decision you didn't want to make essentially because of being in that hot state. Um, right. So and again, that you're actually more likely to think you'll make a better decision next time because you're like, oh, I've experienced it once. I'll, right. I'll definitely make a better decision this time. And then you don't. Right. Like we actually become even it's like, worse. No, you've experienced and you've made a bad decision once. So you'll probably do it again, <laughs> most likely. Uh, or a situation like someone makes a sexist comment or a racist comment uh, at work and you don't say anything, maybe because in that moment you're kind of afraid or a little intimidated, or a little nervous to speak up about it. And then later on you think, well, next time I can speak up, you know, for sure if that happens again, I'll be able to speak up. Uh, but then it happens again, you're in that hot state again, you're fearful again, and then you still don't speak up again. 
Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's how people, you know, that's how we can end up in kind of these loops of either behavior not changing or making not the best decision for a particular moment because we're so bad at predicting how it's actually going to feel to make that decision when we're in the hot state. Right. It's like the counterintuitive thing. It's like having experienced it and seeing what we did doesn't now make us immune to that effect that then, oh, next time I'll make a logical decision that rather instead it's like if you were in that situation and made one decision that next time, unless you take steps to make sure something different is going to happen, you'll probably do the same thing again. And that's kind of counterintuitive, but can actually be really helpful if you know that that's going to happen and then can take steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Once you can recognize it, but if you can't, then it's just going to most likely going to keep happening. I mean, I see this all the time with clients and I mean, I blame it on clients, but let's be honest, we've all been there and I've been here too, which (laughs) is with uh, constantly coming back to the same bad relationship Mm. or getting back together with the same Mm. ex. That's really not a good match for you. Um, you know, with things like, well, we're just going to meet up and talk or we're going to meet up and get a drink, you know, and that's going to be it. Mm. And then, you know, they get back together and it's great for a couple of weeks and then it's terrible again. And then it's like, no, 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 I can't be with this person anymore. It's got to end. It's got to end. And then like, well, we're going to meet up again just to get drinks, just to talk over things, you know? And I think it's that same thing of like, you get around this person and then the feelings come up. Maybe it's the arousal because you're still attracted to each other, or maybe it's the anger or sadness or all the emotions, all the baggage and stuff from the from the relationship comes up and you're just not good at predicting how your decision making is going to be when you're in that state. You can yeah. say ahead of time, no, there's no way I'm going to sleep with that person again. There's no way. And then you get into that state and then it's like, well, here we are tumbling into bed again. That's why. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. Did somebody, did a guest say this? I feel like a guest said this to us once. Maybe it was Kathy Labriola. Oh. I forget. But just that like the decision to be, be, to stay friends after the end of the relationship often does doesn't do much except make the sex hotter. <laughs> You're right. Someone did say <laughs> that. Yeah, someone oh, told us that. Wow. And that's kind of a blanket statement. Like, of course, people become friends with their exes, like, you know, definitely. Yeah, but right. but when you're kind of still in that vulnerable, fragile state when the relationship is ending and there's a lot of feels that that's probably the time where, again, like actually becoming friends has that effect. It just makes the sex kind of hotter for a little while. <laughs> oh, Okay, so we understand now, hopefully, about hot and cold states. And what can we do about it? So we've got a couple couple techniques that you can try. The first one is to find ways to avoid the hot state. So the example here, like a simple example would be in Alcoholics Anonymous, as part of that process, they don't encourage you to like go to bars and smell the alcohol. The idea is stay out of that hot situation so that you can remain in more of a cold state and make better decisions as much as possible, right? It's like, don't make things harder for yourself, right? Or in so the So this example, is the opposite of... Yeah. Or, sorry, this is the opposite of last week when we were talking about exposure therapy. And this, well, that was for dealing, in this with instance, your, it's for dealing with your fears. Getting away from it. Yeah, that was for right. dealing with your yeah. fears and building, building resiliency. Right. Uh, so yeah, like, that's true. Yeah, another example of this would be, uh, you know, if you're trying to not eat sweets, don't have them in your house right? Uh, Or don't have them at your desk at work or whatever, because every time you see them, you're having to make a decision or you're maybe you're hungry and you're just like, okay, fuck it. I'll do it. Uh, Same like Mm -hmm. if once you've paid off your credit cards and you don't want to get back into credit card debt, cut them up. You know, you can always still get one again if you had to for some reason, but But don't cut it up, like delete it off the like saved credit cards on your computer. So it's not so easy. Right. Like remove some of the ease of making the bad decisions or like 
in the example Dedeker gave of you're all aroused and in this hot situation and so you don't use protection, maybe it's because you didn't have any with you. And then next time you go back, you still don't have any with and you. It's hard. To, it's even harder to pull yourself away from that aroused state to like go down to the gas station to right. buy condoms or whatever. Right. So instead, like take steps in advance, have them with you or take steps in advance to just like not be alone with that person. If you know that they're not going to be willing to use protection with you because you know that your resolve is going to be weaker around them mm. if that's a decision that's important to you. Right. So it's like take proactive steps to avoid the, the difficulty in making that decision in a hot state or the hot state at all. Yeah. So another way is to plan how you'll overcome the hot state. So rehearse it. Be like you're in a play or something. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. There's a book out there called Nerve by Taylor Clark, and he discusses two groups of people who are routinely required to make smart decisions. So we talked about this a little beforehand, but firefighters and Navy SEALs. So the way that they overcome stressful circumstances is through experience and rehearsal. So here's a quote from this book. When a fire commander sees a building with a billboard affixed, affixed, not asphyxed, that's not a word, (laughs) affixed to the side, go up in flames... So when they see a building with a billboard affixed to the side go up in flames, for example, experience immediately reminds him of the times he's seen billboards suddenly plummet to the ground below, and he gives orders to clear out the area without having to think. Interesting. So it's like one thing happens, and then immediately he just knows what to do in that moment. So like a Navy SEAL or a firefighter, if this were to happen, then yeah, they, they already have the experience and the rehearsal in their mind just to make a split second decision. So yeah, again, in these moments, I mean, you can potentially rehearse for something, even like what Dedeker said, just put a condom in your wallet or something or have it on hand. Because if you do happen to be in a circumstance where you're going to potentially be getting frisky with someone, then just have the protection, have it. Right. And and unfortunately, I think some of this like rehearsal thing is a little difficult. If you haven't. Yeah. In certain moments, you're not going to like be able to rehearse for a car crash, which. Well, right. God yeah. Forbid. Right. But I mean, even even like the example of being sexually aroused or something like with this firefighter one, it's like because these firefighters have been there and actually seen it and they've been in that stressful situation. And over time, I've learned to make better decisions yeah. in that stressful situation. Right. Same thing like I was talking about before with the Navy SEALs or with the Army Rangers or things like that, that in addition to doing a lot of training in states of being hungry or being sleep deprived, they would also before missions will do the mission over and over again for like weeks in full scale replicas, Mm. you know, with people playing the other parts against them, playing out all the different ways it could go wrong so that in the moment when those things happen, there's more of a chance that their mind's going to go, oh, yeah, I've been here. I know what to do. And I think that this is where, like to take it back to relationships and sex and things like that, it's where things like having your elevator pitch version of your STI status comes from, or like your kind of coming up with like very concise and firm policies for yourself about like your sexual health, for example, so that in that state where you're not as good at making decisions there's a little more hope that you'll come back to like, oh yeah, okay, I've practiced going through the speech. I'll just jump into it and do it. Or, okay, like this falls either within or without these rules that I've made for myself. 
So hopefully that can help you a little bit. It's like doing to kind of prepare for making those decisions easier when you're in the moment. So you're not having to do as much decision making. Even things like an elevator pitch for like your relationship structure, because I've definitely been in situations. Yeah. Where somebody, or even like about the podcast, because sometimes (laughs) talking about our various podcasts, you know, if I were to say it in a certain way, they might be like, uh, okay, that's weird or something. But if you come up with a scenario or a thing to say already, uh, then it can be much easier in those moments, especially when you're perhaps caught off guard with somebody asking you a question like, what kind of relationship structure are you in? Or wait, what about polyamory? Or something along those lines, then you already have a predetermined thing to speak about. Yeah. Another example of this uh, comes from a 1994 study, so a little bit older, um, by Ron S. Gold, who did a study about teaching gay men about the importance of condom use. And in one group, he... Basically, all of the men in the study had had unprotected anal sex at some point in the past. And in one group, they were educated about condom use by looking at educational posters, right? In a basically a cold state type of teaching. It like treats it very logically, and it's like, yeah, you should do this. And then in the other group, they had them vividly recall, like as vividly as possible, recall a sexual encounter where they didn't use a condom. And then try to evaluate, as they're remembering this encounter, evaluate their motivation for doing that. And then to question whether that was was good reasoning or not, like whether that motivation was justified. And what they found is that the men who vividly imagined that situation tried to kind of recreate more of that hot state while thinking through their decision were significantly, like by a very large margin, much less likely to have unprotected anal sex again in the future. Mm. So that's kind of an example of sort of preparing yourself in that hot state rather than just thinking like, oh, now that I'm all cool and logical, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine next time. So kind of like once they could... We're good. They could like recreate putting themselves almost in that hot state or remembering that hot state and then from that point of view, evaluating why did I make that decision or, you know, what were my reasons for that decision and then... And why are those maybe not good reasons? Right. So (laughs) almost kind of like Mm. inviting the logical brain into the scene as you're re-experiencing... What happened? Yeah. Or like, like it's like priming the counter argument, because then when your hot brain is making the argument of like, but it's fine because it's hot or whatever that you've hot brain, you know, that other part of your brain has rehearsed like, oh, yeah, yeah. But I've heard this one before. And the answer was no, (laughs) whatever it is. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, it's going to depend on the scenario, but there's a number of different strategies for being able to do this for yourself. So something like that, like actively imagining different scenarios, maybe scenarios that you have been in. It could be something very similar to this, actually, of like a time that you regretted not using a condom when you should have, Um, you know, calling to mind vividly that experience and kind of evaluating what you would actually want to do next time, mentally rehearsing what you'd want to do or what you'd want to say. Things like, uh, you know, pre-planning some standard responses to a sexist comment, a racist comment, an ableist comment that comes your way or that you overhear at work or something like that. Something that you'll feel safe saying or using, even if it's just something as simple as like, wow, like, I, I don't think that's really appropriate. You know, it doesn't because I think people mm. feel a big pressure to like have a super snappy comeback to somebody depending mm-hmm. on what they say. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. It can help to pre-plan just a standard response that you know you have under your belt and that you have ready um, and that you'll feel safe using. And it's like often at work, 
you might think, oh, I got this great snappy comeback, but you're at work or you're in a public place. And it's like at the moment, it's like, ooh, that might be risky to say. This person might yell at me. They might cause trouble for me. So it's like coming up with a response you actually do feel like you'd feel comfortable using is, is part of the challenge. Yeah. Um, and again, things like that, you know, having condoms with you before going into a potential sexual situation or just having something with you to help preclude you from making poor decisions in that hot state, something like practicing your elevator pitch about sexual health um, or like Emily was saying about your relationship structure um, or even something like you can recall in detail a recent fight that you had with a partner and recall it vividly in detail. Think about the moments that cued you into like, oh, this is when I really got angry when I saw my partner mm. roll their eyes. And then that's when I snapped back with such and such comment. And then that's when they slammed the door, you know, and then from that state of recalling that hot state, recalling how you might want to have behaved differently, how you could have stopped it from escalating, things like that. Yeah. Okay. So let's review, shall we? So, <laughs> so the first decision-making challenge that we talked about is hunger. Um, that one, luckily, quite simple. And the solution is either don't make decisions when you're hungry or try to you know, manage your stop hunger levels. Stop being hungry. <laughs> yeah, stop being yeah. as hungry. Uh, next one is decision fatigue. So put your big decisions earlier in the day. Don't waste a lot of energy on unimportant decisions when you can. And then also be mindful of making a lot of decisions in a row is challenging. So if you can space them out, that can also help. And then lastly is hot versus cold states, um, which we just talked about a bunch. But basically, it's just be understanding and sympathetic to the you that's in hot states as well as the other people that's in a hot state. And that even something like surprise is a hot state. And that's something that, um, you know, when you think about at work, like someone's sexist comment or something, it's like you might actually kind of be surprised by like, geez, I'm shocked someone even said something like that. And that even that amount of that emotion of surprise is enough to throw you into that hot state where you're not going to make the decision that you might think you would make in a cool and logical state. So just be really sympathetic to that, both in yourself and other people, and then do what you can to either avoid those or to plan ahead and really get yourself in a place where it's easier to make better decisions, even when you're in that hot state. And our bonus episode is going to be even more tools on effective decision making. So if you couldn't get enough from this episode, then check out our bonus episode only for patrons. Yeah. So we would love to hear from all of you. What, what of this resonated with you? I know that for me in researching this, it was like, oh, geez. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Yeah, I've been there. Oh, gosh, I've done that. Oh, man, I haven't been sympathetic to someone in that situation. And now I realize I should have been. Lots of things like that. And the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-0-5. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. 
The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.